Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. We can avoid some Genesis 34 moments within our lives if we just simply surrender all to him. Have that wrestling match with Jesus and then jump into a Genesis 35 type situation where you're like, you know what? I need a clean house. Holiness should be a thing in my life. Holiness should be a thing that I pursue within my life. I need a clean house. Jacob gets there, but he doesn't get there without heartache. He doesn't get there without heartache. Maybe that's a relatable thing to all of us. Have you seen others struggle with sin in life and fear that you yourself are headed down that same path? If so, then take it on yourself to go to Jesus now. Do this and you'll find the help that you need to veer back onto the path you're meant to be on. Pastor James reminds you today that if you fail to place God at the center of your life, you're headed towards destruction. It's through Jesus alone that you can find the salvation that your soul desires. Allow Him to define who you are. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Genesis chapter 34 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Genesis, and we get to pick up in just one of the saddest chapters in the Bible. <laughs> so we're like we go from hearing about Rus- Russian orphans getting abused and all this stuff to, well, we're in Genesis 34, and it's just like, oh man, I didn't plan that out. Um, I just, you know, we just go through the Bible, and sometimes you land on chapters at certain times that you're like, I really could have, you know, can we just wait on this one? But we, we don't. We don't do that. Here's a good lesson for, for today, though. Um, if you're Jacob and you've had a Genesis chapter 32 experience, and that's where he wrestled with Jesus, um, that's where he wrestled with God, uh, and he was broken by God, and he walked with a limp, but he had this amazing, amazing encounter with the Lord. The, the stranger, quote unquote, that wrestled with him was the Lord. Just so we understand this, I'm going to do my best to kind of paint this picture for all of us because I think this is a struggle within the church. Um, We think that if I have an encounter with Jesus and I surrender my life to Jesus, that everything's okay. And, And I'm saying, and I know that there's guys on TV who will preach that, but I'm not talking about prosperity stuff. I'm talking about spiritually and just the battle that happens. I don't know about you guys, but I, and I, nobody told me that, but I kind of believed that when I got saved. Well, somehow I gave my life to the Lord that all that stuff, all the spiritual attacks, all that warfare is done, right? Because I'm, I got saved and, well, no, no, here's what you did. You took, a, you took whatever target was on you, and although we know how this works, I, I would hope we understand how this works, um, not part of the family of God, you belong to the family of the enemy, okay? But so when you make that transition into his family, you are painting a gigantic target on your front and your back. And that's just how it is. Now, does the Lord protect you and does the Lord give you what you need to fight these battles and way of escapes? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. I think that's part of the Christian journey is learning how to submit to him and actually take those way of escapes. But in our lives, when we have a Genesis 32 encounter with Jesus personally, the best thing to do, scripturally speaking here, is to jump on ahead to Genesis 35 and bypass, yeah, Genesis 33, Jacob and Esau, they have a reconnection, brothers, they hug, they're crying. Uh, But that chapter ends with Jacob lying to Esau, saying, yeah, you go ahead of us, we'll catch up with you. He lied, he never intended to catch up with his brother. And then you have Genesis 34, which is a sad chapter that should not be in the Bible. Shouldn't be there, shouldn't be there. If Jacob, and I could apply this to myself, if James at times had that encounter with Jesus, sometimes it's just better to say, okay, Lord, wait, you're calling me back to a specific place. You're telling me to go somewhere. You want, you're obviously trying to get me to avoid certain scenarios and situations. Help me not to see the greener pastures that the world presents to me. Help me just to trust you. Because let's look at this real quick, if you don't mind. Look at Genesis 35. I'm not here to like beat up on Jacob. I'm not. But there are lessons in this that we have to learn. We have to learn. But look at Genesis 35, verse 1. It says, then God, so we'll go through 34, but I want you to understand. I want you to see this whole picture. Then God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And here's Jacob's response to this, verse 2. And Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go to Bethel, which means house of God, by the way. And I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way in which I have gone. See, the hint back in, early on back in Genesis, when he was about to leave Laban's house, the the notion is that God had told Jacob, you need to leave Laban's house and you need to go back to the land of your fathers. Everybody that I know of, scholarly, they all have the same kind of understanding of that. What God was telling Jacob was, you go back to Bethel. You need to go back to Bethel. That's in the land of his fathers. That was the last place he had this encounter with the Lord where he saw the ladder and the angels ascending and descending. Go back to the house of God. Why would you go to Shechem? Why in the world would you go to Shechem? Now, Shechem has some history within the Bible. It's mentioned 60 times throughout the scriptures. We saw Shechem early on in Abraham's life. He actually set up an altar there. And he, he's had connections. So 200 years prior to this story, Abraham has already been to Shechem. Apparently, it was a whole different place. A lot has changed in 200 years. But Shechem continually gets brought back up, and, and it's an issue, it becomes an issue in, even throughout the rest of, of, of history for the, for the nation of Israel concerning their journey out of Egypt into the Promised Land. There's some crazy things that happened in Shechem. Joseph, his bones, his remains were actually buried in Shechem. Okay, so there is some significance to the city, but at this moment in time, this was not a good place to dwell. This wasn't a good place to dwell. This isn't where you wanted to set up camp, so to speak. There's a lot of correlations between this story and going back into Genesis chapter 18, or even a little bit earlier than that, with Lot and how he set his face toward Sodom and Gomorrah. A lot of correlations in the terminology and the wordage that's used here with Jacob and Shechem. It's a sad story. 
And it's just one of those things, and, and I'm trying to study through this, and you know, all the stuff comes up, and it, this is one of those frustrating ones, because you're dealing with like hindsight in 2020, which is the worst thing possible, I think, at times, where you're like, yeah, of course you know what to do outside of the story. Everybody knows what they should have done once it's already happened, so to speak, right? Like, and that's, that's almost a plague, but here's Jacob... And he, he meets his brother, 33. It goes in a totally different way than what he expected. He thought his brother was going to kill him. God did a miraculous thing. They're reunited, they're reconnected in a way that Jacob would have never imagined could have happened in his life between him and his brother. Then he ends that story saying, no, yeah, yeah, go ahead. We'll catch up with you. And he goes in the opposite direction. Esau goes south and Jacob goes north. And Shechem geographically is, is located about north, uh, northeast of Jerusalem. It's, it's north, northeast of Bethel as well. Why are you in Shechem? Well, because Shechem was a good place physically to live. It had everything offered in that realm. But look, let's jump back into 33, the last portion of 33, for the sake of context. Chap, or chapter 33, verse 18. Then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem which is in the land of Canaan. And when he came from Padan Aram, and now that's a region just outside of the promised land to the northwest there, and he, he pitched his tent before the city. And he bought a par- parcel of land where he had pitched his tent and from the children of Hamar, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar there and called it El Elohe Israel. Okay, so that's good. But it's also one of those things where, but that's not where you're supposed to be. That's fine. That's great. Set up an altar wherever you go. This is not where you're supposed to be. Here's the, here's the other indication. As I was studying through this, I totally missed this until I sat back down to, to study this, and I went back in for the sake of context, because that's what I like to do, is to make sure I'm, we're bridging the gaps between chapters, because originally there were no chapters, okay? Um, so what I missed initially was... Um, this whole story with, with Dinah in 34 is connected to what precedes it in that last portion we just read, because we're dealing with Shechem, an individual who lives in the city called Shechem, which is more than likely named after him, okay? He's like a prince of the city. His dad's one of the chief kind of rulers within that city, and maybe his dad named the city after his son, or maybe he named his son after the city. We don't know, but we know it's a family of importance, and it's a family that Jacob is dealing with financially. All this story in 34 is directly connected to these little verses before we even get into it, 18, 19, and 20. Because if you look at that once again, there it says, Jacob set up camp, pitched his tent before the city. That's the key to this whole next story. That's the absolute key to this whole next story. What it's saying is Jacob is, he's, you know, they, they're, you know, you know they, they go around, they set up camp and they're Bedouin, so to speak, and, you know, all that stuff. They're setting up their dwelling places and then they pack it up. When he shows up and he sees the city of Shechem, which is a walled, protective city now, it's totally different than when Abraham was there, he sets up his camp so that the opening of his tent, so to speak, is... Shechem. So the first thing he does when he walks out of his tent, he sees Shechem. He has physically placed his family in a position where they see Shechem all the time. The danger is that Shechem is filled with wicked people. 
And it's very worldly. You're dealing with Canaanites. You're dealing with Canaanites. These are people who are occupying the land, but they, Jacob knows, listen, there's a plan that God has established with you and with your family. He's forming a nation out of you and your family. You can't connect with these guys physically, intermarrying and all that stuff. You don't want to. That's, we're, we're not going to do that. What we're building is a nation here, Jacob. And what do you think the enemy would be tempting them with? Chapter 34, I believe, is an attack from Satan on Jacob's, not just Jacob's family, but the Messiah himself who would come from this family. Because if Satan can mess up that line, he can maybe thwart the Messiah who he knows. Genesis chapter 3 is the one who's going to crush his head. Attacks, subtle attacks, subtle attacks. I mean, that's just how the enemy works. He's, he's a lion and he's prowling around seeking whom he may devour. Lions aren't just like roaming around in the African plains, screaming and yelling all over the place. They're sneaky. If you've ever watched one, they know how to crouch down and they know how to just creep up to their prey and then pounce on them. What you have here, Genesis 34, is an attack from a lion trying to mess up what God has started trying to break up this promise. The sad thing is, is there's Jacob. He should have gone to Bethel. He should have gone to Bethel. But he sees Shechem, and Shechem is a nice place that has a lot to offer. And he sets up his tent, his camp, to face Shechem, to face Shechem. And I think that communicates just a lot with what's going on within his heart. And that's what I'm telling you from Genesis 32. And we saw in Genesis 35... He had the right attitude in 35 where he's like, okay, let's clean house. All the idols that we have, because apparently they had a lot of idols. And remember, his, his wife stole her dad's idols. He, she stole her dad's gods, and she hid them with her. So they're still carrying all this stuff, and they're still walking around in the old garments. They're still doing all this stuff. It's like, it's, it's trying to, you know, live in the kingdom of God, but yet you got one foot in the world. It doesn't work. And all that's, all that's ahead of you is heartbreak and frustration. This is Jacob trying to do that. And that's why I'm saying the best scenario is go from Genesis 32 into Genesis 35. That would, I hope, would be our response. And what I wish would have been my response in completion to Jesus when I said, yes, I'll follow you. Little did I know I was still holding on to a bunch of little things in my own life and dirty garments as well. Now, there's a sanctification, there's grace and all that stuff, but I'm just saying we can avoid some Genesis 34 moments within our lives if we just simply surrender all to him. Have that wrestling match with Jesus and then jump into a Genesis 35 type situation where you're like, you know what? I need a clean house. Holiness should be a thing in my life. Holiness should be a thing that I pursue within my life. I need a clean house. Jacob gets there, but he doesn't get there without heartache. He doesn't get there without heartache. Maybe that's a relatable thing to all of us. Maybe God has, has us on a journey to get us to Genesis chapter 35, but maybe there's some heartache along on the journey. And if that's the case, don't lose heart. He's not done with you yet. Don't give up. You may have a Genesis 34 story within your life, but don't give up on the Lord. Let him turn beauty from those ashes. Let him do something incredible. Never let, just don't let anything distort or or mess up that, that beautiful thing that God is doing in your life.
But now this story, Genesis 34. So we, we, we kind of have the backdrop. It's painted where I, I hope you can envision where if you look out, looking out from Shechem, what you see is Jacob and his family in their tents set up facing Shechem. That's what, the she- that's what all the people from Shechem would see. And that's a massive family. It's a big family. That's a super wealthy family too. That's the ones you want moving into your neighborhood because they're going to bring value to anything that you have going on within the city. So for the, from the world's perspective, yes, we want to be connected with you. From Jacob's perspective, he's like, yeah, I like this place. I think I want to live here. There's danger in that. So let's see what happens. Verse 1 of chapter 34. Now, Dinah, I believe that's how you say her name, um, the daughter of, I've been saying Leah, but I heard Skip Heitzig say Leah, and so now I'm confused. And so whether or not, it doesn't matter. Um, but if you're like, why does he keep saying Leah? It's Leah. Um, it's because I don't know how to speak. That's why, okay? So mystery solved. Um, and every time I think of Leah, I think of Star Wars. I don't know why, but, you know, that's... So I'm going to keep saying Leah, all right? So put that wherever you want. Um, so the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob. So we already know that, you know, from the genealogy there, that she was the only daughter that was mentioned, and she came from, from Leah, right? And she has brothers, She has a lot of brothers that were born directly to Jacob and Leah, right? So there she is, born to Jacob. She went out to see the daughters of the land, meaning the daughters of Shechem. Now, they've already had dealings with people from Shechem because uh, we just read that. You had um, somebody from Hamar's family, and that's that's Shechem's dad. He's the main character we're going to see in this story. Whether it was Shechem himself I tend to believe it probably was, but somebody from that family has already had financial dealings with Jacob because Jacob bought land from these guys. So there's already been a, you know, they've already had a meeting, so to speak. And, and I don't know if, if it was Shechem who went and sold the land to Jacob. I don't know if he saw Dinah. And maybe the thought had already been planted within his mind of, well, that girl looks really good. And I'm really excited to be partnering with this family because of what it could mean for me. I don't know. There's, there's no indication there. But, but here you have this family who has set up camp outside the city. And now you have a teenage daughter who is curious as to how these other teenage daughters live within this world. And she goes out to see the daughters of the land. Now, there's a lot of red flags that pop up even just from that. Jacob, how are you going to let your daughter go off on her own and hang out with people that you don't know? There's a danger there. There's a danger there. He should have said, she has brothers. Send some brothers with her. Because culturally in this day, and especially for, for the, the heathen, quote unquote, you know, the pagans in one sense, culturally for them, if there was a young lady walking around unassisted, she's fair game to do with her whatever you want. And there is no penalty. And there's no penalty. That's a dangerous world to live in. That's a dangerous world for you to say, yeah, where's, she, where's Dinah? Oh, she went to go check out the city? Oh, yeah, that's cool. No, that's not okay. That's not okay. So just the absence of Jacob in this initial part is like disturbing. His response to what happens is a million times more disturbing. But as a dad, Jacob, what's going on? What are you doing, buddy? Where are you at? 
what are you, what are you doing? She goes out. She goes to check out to see how the, the daughters of the land, just to, to see you, maybe find some friends and some companions and, and all that stuff because maybe she's tired of the family she lives in and what a mess the family is that she lives in. Verse 2, and when Shechem, the son of Hamar, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and violated her. He had his way with her, is what that's saying. Verse 3, here's where it gets strange. His soul was strongly attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young, the young woman and spoke kindly to the young woman. So Shechem spoke to his father, Hamor, saying, get me this young woman as a wife. So this is where it's kind of strange, right? Um, he doesn't love her in the purest form of that word. Um, because if he had, he wouldn't have taken advantage of her. He wouldn't have taken advantage of her. So this love that he speaks of, it's it, it, there, it, within the Hebrew and everything, it's not like we, the Greek, you know, where we have these different forms of love where, you know, eros, and that's like a passion kind of a thing. But what we're dealing with here is this love, this attraction that he has for her has intensified after he has taken advantage of her. He has assaulted her. Sexually, he has assaulted her. And it's, and it's there where he becomes, he becomes, in one sense, uh, attached to her, and he wants her to be his wife. Number one, uh, that's, in, uh, this just, I don't even have to say this, but that, that doesn't communicate love. That, if anything, that's, that's a, a definite highlight of lust. And now you are, you're attracted to this, to this young lady who you totally defiled. And now he's like, well, you know what? Let's just, I just need her to be my wife. Not because he's looking to make it right. He just wants her for what she has to offer to him. And that's it. That's it. There's no like honor on this guy's part. I really want to communicate that and make sure that we get this. There is, it seems as though he's maybe trying to do the right thing. He is not trying to do the right thing. There is no honor on his part, none at all. He just had her, enjoyed her, and would like to have more of her. And yeah, she would be his wife, but possibly wife number what? Because again, we're dealing with a culture where, you know, being married to just one wife wasn't exactly the thing. So I don't know what it was like for Shechem and, and that in his little community there, if they had multiple wives, most of the cultures around them, I mean, they, they practice that a lot. All I know is this guy, he's bad, he's bad news. He's bad news. You don't, you, don't, you don't treat somebody like that. You don't treat someone like that. This is a sin that has been committed against, against Dinah, but then also against her family. And now this guy is like, well, I can't stop thinking about her, so why don't you go get her for me as a wife? And so the dealings begin. Verse 5, Jacob heard that he had, that Shechem had defiled Dinah, his daughter. So news got back to Jacob of what happened. Now his sons were with his livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. And what that saying is, he did nothing. He didn't do anything. The beginning of the world has been a hotly contested topic for some time now, and the debate has caused many to dig deeper into their origin. 
The simplest answer is often the one that's correct. Our world, and everything in it, was molded and placed in its orbit by a supreme being, God. The account of this beginning, and the first people to walk the earth, is recorded for us in the pages of the Bible, in the book of Genesis. God's authority over nature and humankind has been evident from the start. He simply spoke, and all took shape. God formed people to inhabit this beautiful planet, to care for it, and for each other. Pastor James Grizzle has been taking the time to share God's plan for life from the pages of Genesis. And we hope you'll tune in again to continue the story. If you missed any part of today's message on Bread for the Broken, don't worry. You can find it now on our website, breadforthebroken.com. Listen through all of Pastor James' teachings that we've made available there, and feel free to share them with any friends or family you think would find it helpful. That website again is breadforthebroken.com. We're so glad you chose to spend time with us today. And we want you to know that we're keeping you in our prayers every time we produce another edition of this program. Each edition of Bread for the Broken is made with our listeners in mind. And we want to make sure our Creator is the first one we're all turning to. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Bread for the Broken. It's our prayer that every listener finds hope and new life in Jesus.